0: Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for Your mercy and Your grace and Your provision. We thank You for another day that we as a body can gather together, Lord, to worship and bring You honor through the singing and the preaching of Your Word. And we are thankful for Your truths of Scripture and Your ability, God, to reveal and enlighten us to a better understanding of the Word of God. and so, Father, we ask that you do that today. Illuminate your scripture. Teach us truths that will help us throughout our day. And, Father, we know there are many in need of prayer today. And, Lord, I specifically lift up Bobby. and God, today, as she's asked us as a church to pray for her and to heal her and to grow her into a wonderful relationship that will be fruitful and will multiply, God. One that you will use her to witness and to reach out to the lost with hope and the truth of the gospel. Heal her, Lord, this morning of her sicknesses. Lord, we know that you will grow her and make her into the image of Christ so that she might glorify you more perfectly. And so we just lift her up to you, Lord, this morning. And I pray for those, God, that are going through hard times today. in in marriages and in bitter relationships, I pray that You give them hope, encouragement, and Lord, that You give them faith to see You as the God You are. God, the real person that divided the Red Sea and that fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and fish, a God that, that calmed the storm just speaking His Word. God, that can raise men and women from the dead physically and spiritually. And help us, God, each of us, to remember our purpose, to bring You honor and glory, and knowing that You will cause all things somehow, some way to work for good to those who love You and that there is a calling to Your purpose, Father God. And help me this morning, today, to remain faithful. Preaching your word, Lord, to speak your truth in love, with grace and mercy. Let us, as a church, be known. Let us be a light that shines in the darkness. So that when things get out of hand, those who are seeking will know right where to turn. And so, Father, we just pray this morning. Empower and use me. I also want to lift up my brother Shane and his family as they are this morning preaching your word, Novando. God, I thank you for his willingness to preach the truth of Scripture and to, to be willing to, to be called upon to do that. And I thank you for him and all of one of our elders that, that are willing to do that. And we are grateful for that here in this church, for their obedience. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning I want to continue in the seven seas of history. We've been working through those for several weeks now. And last week we looked at Christ and His deity. And this week uh, we're going to look at Christ as well. And last week we looked at, at John 1, 1-5, and we saw three different points that the text taught us. We saw that the text taught us who Christ is, as He claimed to be a deity, God in flesh. We saw that the text taught us what Christ does as we saw Christ in creation, creating from the beginning of time. And then thirdly, we saw that the text taught us what Christ has. And really, He has the ability to overcome the darkness of this world with light. And He is the light. And that's why He says, I am the light of the world. This week I want to keep right on as we look more and more into the life of Jesus Christ. And so to sum it up, last week we looked at Christ and His deity. And this week I want to look at Christ and His sufficiency. And look, there are two people, two types of people that are here this morning. You have sinners that are unsaved, and you have sinners that are saved. Both people need to hear out this morning because this message is a message of hope and encouragement for each one of those people. To the sinner that is unsaved, I hope that you will see and understand your need for Christ's sufficiency. To the sinner that is saved, I hope you will remember and stand on and embrace the sufficiency of Christ in your lives. Today I want to take a look at Colossians Colossians two thirteen and 14. And so, let us look at the context of this book and what's taking place here. Here, Paul is writing most likely from Rome during his first imprisonment. It seems that Ephratus has had troubles with false teachers in Colossae, in which really has led him to visit Paul in Rome in his imprisonment. And so Paul is writing this letter to refute the Colossian heresies. And so Paul is really up against two main problems here, several more heresies, but these are the two majors as he's fighting against the person of Christ, as he's really testing these false teachers that Christ is truly deity. And so we see him give this wonderful explanation of who Christ was in Colossians 1. 15 to 17. He says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And so we see the person of Christ like we looked at last week, the deity. And then the other problem that he's dealing with is the adequacy of Christ. That Christ was completely adequate for mankind's redemption and not some type of aesthetic tendencies. And here in verse uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 19, he talks about this. He says, There, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regards to food or drink on respective festivals or new moons or the Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement the worship of angels taking his stand on visions as he seen, inflated without cause by fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grow the growth which is in Christ. For those who may be wondering what aesthetic tendencies are, I, I was, so I had to look it up for myself, so I want to be give you the opportunity to understand what that is. And really what that is is the, the practicing of self-denial as a measurement of a personal or, or especially a spiritual discipline. And so these were were practicing these things that they thought were making them more holy and more spiritually disciplined. And so this morning I want each of us to see and understand as Paul was trying to teach Christ, sufficiency. And so this morning, if you will, let us read our text. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. It's a short two verses, but let us begin. When you were dead in your transgressions, the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, He has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. Three points I think this morning that we need to understand in this passage to help us see the sufficiency of Christ is this. Number one, we need to understand what we were. Number two, we need to understand what we are. And number three, we need to understand what He did. What we are, what we were, what we are, what He did. And here in verse 13, the first half of this verse, Paul is really saying to us, this is what you were before. He says, when you were dead in your transgressions, in circumcision of your flesh. The key word here is when you were. He's showing past tense, assuming. Paul is trying to point out, before you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you were dead the question is, how were you dead? And you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And Paul is trying to have us understand something here. Point number one is that it brings us to understand what we were. Let us define two terms this morning. I think it's important to understand this. what Just what transgression is in the uncircumcision of our flesh. Well, in the Greek, transgression means... Paratami means transgression. It means trespass. It means sin or fault. It really gives an imagery of one making a false step as so to lose footing. You know, yesterday, I believe, was open in day of deer season and with a rifle. And so, uh, me being out of state, I decided to go buy an out of state license. And so, I'm bow hunting and I'm out there yesterday afternoon. I'm walking through these hills. And I walked up to this edge of this kind of a ravine, what we would call a canyon back in south. But here it was probably just a little hill. And, and I thought, you know, this is a perfect place to sit. There's trails crossing down in the bottom. and So if I just sit here, I might catch something coming through. And as I got settled in, I slipped. And I about fell down in that canyon. And so that kind of gives the same idea. It's, it's a violation uh, an offense of wrongdoings. And if I had stepped off, I would have made a wrongdoing. And so praise the Lord, I didn't. And I didn't get anything either. <laughs> and so the New American Standard translates this word as transgression. The ESV tr- translates it as trespasses. And the King James Version translates it as sins. And really, I think all of these bring the idea together which Paul is trying to communicate. And what he's saying is that You were Gentiles without the law, and therefore living in sin. And so next, we want to try and understand what the phrase uncircumcision of your flesh is. This phrase really designates Gentiles. It means Gentiles. You may ask, why? Well, for the Jews, the practice of circumcision brought them into the covenant of God's people. And bound them by His covenant. But the Gentiles, they were not circumcised in the flesh. And Paul, I think, makes this really clear. As we look in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And he reads this. He says, Therefore, remember, that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh. And then catch this, what he says. You who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope without God in the world. Listen, if you're not a Jew... That makes you a Gentile. And for us, this was huge. And I think that's why it's so important as we see Paul on his his road on Damascus, as he was traveling and God appeared to him, Christ appeared to him. He said, who are you, sir? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He said, stand up, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You will tell the world about this experience. About other times I will appear to you. He says, I will protect you from your own people and the Gentiles. He says, yes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they can receive forgiveness by their sins who are set apart by what? Faith in Christ. And so we need to understand this is a wonderful message for us as Gentiles because without Christ, we had no hope, we had no chance. And so, what Paul is saying here is that I or you or we were in violations to God's standards before Christ came into the picture. You couldn't uphold the law, I couldn't uphold the law because you didn't have it and we didn't have it. You were no part of the covenant relationship with God because of the uncircumcision of flesh. This is not some new teaching, by the way, in which Paul is giving us we see as again in Ephesians two one to three he's speaking here. He says, In you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them were two of formerly lived in the lust of the flesh and indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so Paul is saying, remember what you were. Remember. You were hopeless in need of a Savior and, and He, God, provided a way. We too sometimes need to remember what we were like before Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but the life I lived before Jesus Christ was a life of heresy, of self-indulging in the lust of the flesh and of the mind. That was my life. And so sometimes we need to be reminded of what we were. You know, sometimes when I go back home from college or maybe even when I travel back, somebody says, Stuart, I can't believe you're a preacher. You, of all people, a preacher, get out of here. Because they understood what I was before Christ came into my life. And Paul gives us a great picture, I think, of what life looked like in our old self. And we see this in Colossians 3, 5 and 9. Colossians 3, 5 and 9. We see this, that he speaks of immorality, of impurity, of... Passions and evil desire, greed, calls us sons of disobedience, and anger, and wrath, and malice, and slander, abusive speech. This is what we looked like before. So I want to challenge you today to evaluate. Are you living in the old life still, or are you living in the new life? Because these are examples of the old life. As you look in your earlier pagan days, you were dead morally and spiritually and truly unable to choose the things of God because man is totally depraved, unable to save himself. And I think that's a wonderful message as we see that none seek after God, no, not one. Why? Because we're totally depraved. And if God in His grace and mercy didn't first draw us to Himself, none of us would be believers. But God, He draws individuals to Himself and that's why it's important when you feel like God is calling you to repent of a sin or turn back to God or even turn to God for the forgiveness of all your sins, that you don't ignore it. Because unless He draws you to Himself, you can't seek after God. So, we need to understand that. Paul is reminding these Christians here in the Colossian church, remember where you came from. Remember what you were. And Really, we see this teaching from the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament. In just a few examples, we see in Deuteronomy twenty-four, eighteen. he says this, "...but you shall remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there." And therefore I'm commanding you to do these things. In Matthew sixteen nine, we get an example. Do you not understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? And then in Luke seventeen, thirty-two to thirty-three he says, Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Listen. It's important that we remember. I'm not saying go back and remember every sin that we ever committed, because when we become one with Christ, those are wiped away. But we can learn from our mistakes. Paul, in the midst of these false teachers, wants his people to understand and remember what they were. Why it was important to remember what they were. And I'd give you a couple of examples because I think one, if we remember what we were or what what happened in our lives, we can think and keep about remembering the mistakes that we made so we don't make them twice. It can help us understand just how much God has done in our lives. It's a good reminder. And really it's another reason I think that throughout Scripture when God did great things in the lives of the people, they set up altars as a reminder of what God had done. And I tell you today, I think we failing doing that. We need to set up altars in our life of the things God has brought us from and brought us through as a reminder of how good God is. Because I tell you, I'm guilty just like anybody else is. I, I quickly forget how God has done, how God has provided. And I fall right back into my own understanding and my own ways sometimes when I simply need to set up an altar and says this is a reminder of what God did in this situation. I believe we need to understand what we were prior to Christ. But I also believe we need to understand what we are. Colossians 2.13 in the beginning he says, He made you alive together with Him. And so while we were dead on our sins, not in the covenant that the Jews were in, He, Christ, made us alive together with Him. So I ask you this morning, what are you? Really, you can fall into two categories, folks. Either you are alive with Him, Christ, or you are still dead in your sin and trespasses. Either you're dead or you're alive. Either you're for Him or you're against Him. And this is why it's important that we not only understand what we were, but also what we are. You need to know personally that you are alive today in Christ. And so the question to be is, how are those that are alive in Christ made alive in Christ? How are they able to be alive in Christ? What does that look like fleshed out? And I think the text gives us a simple but complex answer. He says this, He made you alive together with Him, Christ. Christ makes you alive. And Paul says, don't don't be taken away by these false teachers who are trying to delude you into another way of being made alive. Teaching other ways. That's why he says, don't be distracted from the person of Christ don't let them tell you Christ isn't who he claimed to be don't be taken away by philosophy or vain deceit don't be distracted by human traditions and don't fall into some angelic hierarchy that somehow bridges you between man and God understand Colossian church that Christ is the one who makes you alive that's his point to us He says, but now you've been brought to life again. Your old life is gone. You've been brought to life through Jesus Christ, whom Himself was once dead, and now has been raised back to life again. It's an example of the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what happens to us. We're dead, but then Christ comes in and raises us back to life. You that are believers and Christians and followers of Christ, you've been raised with Christ. And in giving you this new life in Christ, God has broken you clean away from your past. He has severed you from your past. And so that is why we can say that we are truly free, because the set is free, and therefore we are free indeed because Christ makes us alive. Yeah, we see what we were. I see what I was. And I see what I am now. What we are. And that is alive in Christ. Seeking to do the things of God. He who loves me will keep my commandments. Listen, I'm not a work-based salvation guy by no means. But I truly think that if Christ has regenerated your heart, if He's changed you, He's made you a new creature in Christ, you can't help but desire to do the things of God. it's, It's like peanut butter and jelly. They go together. Nobody wants to eat plain bread. Well, nobody wants to see a Christian who's not living out what they claim to be. And so we read... In the latter part of verse thirteen, Colossians two thirteen, having forgive us all our transgressions. We know this means that God has forgiven all of our sins because we know the King James translated sins, ESV, trespasses, New American Standard transgressions. They all mean sin. And so this is why it's important for you and for me and each one of us listening to understand what we are. Paul set up a great, powerful statement. And as he says in this way, see what you were unable to save your own soul, needing someone to bring you out of death and into life. In Christ, the only, perfect, complete deity has made you alive with him the sins of mankind listen were paid for on the cross of Jesus Christ and there's nothing you could have done nothing you could have achieved no one you could have worshiped no human tradition that you could have followed that would have made you alive in Christ and in, in the midst of the context this is what Paul is fighting against these false teachers are trying to make other ways and he's simply saying no my brother Christ sufficient only that great love of Christ have we ever really seen we see in Ephesians 5 2 to 1 therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love why because something has happened just as Christ has also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God that's what makes us alive in Christ God demonstrates his love toward us not us toward him and that while we were yet still sinners Jesus Christ died for us because Christ has been has forgiven all of our sins we need to understand who we are we need to be able to stand firm in that I'm forgiven for my sins. There's hope in that. There's grace in that. There's mercy in that. That the reality that our sins, past, present, and future, have been redeemed. That doesn't mean we need to live in sin consistently. That's not the mark of someone that God has changed. Brought back from the dead, or the theological term, one that God has regenerated. The marks of those who are alive in Christ; those have been put off the old self and put on the new self. One of my favorite verses: Second Corinthians five seventeen. and reads this: Therefore, if anyone is in If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So when we are regenerated in Christ, the old things begin to be chipped away. And I understand each of us are in different places at different times in our lives. And God is the one who is growing us in our sanctification. But we need to understand as believers... That we need to seek God in His ways so that we can be grown in our sanctification. That we can become to look more like Christ. So that people will feed to us for problems. They will feed to us for help. And they'll stop going to the world in drugs and alcohol and and all of these other sinful things for their help. We need to be the ones that give them hope. The Mark's those who have been made alive in Christ. the a new creation. And really we find that here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 13, as we looked a minute ago at what a picture of the old self looked like. Here Paul gives us a picture of what the new self looks like. He says this, So as those who have been chosen by God, holy, beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has to complain against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. These are a picture of one that is made alive in Christ... And so why is it important that we understand what we are? Is because we need to know if we are made alive in Christ. We need to truly, within our hearts, have assurance of our salvation. And how do we do that? By what God is doing through us. Because if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then He begins to work in us, and He begins to change us, it, there's, it's just the way it works. But, there's, but we have in our society, 90% of the people claim to be Christians, when the reality is, is we don't see that. And the Bible teaches that the road that leads to destruction is broad and wide, so obviously, Scripture teaches there's more going down than there is going up. And if 90% of the world is Christians, then the statistics aren't right. Just as Paul had false teachers in his time dealing with philosophy and other heresies, so we have them today. But I don't know what you've been taught, but if you add one thing to your salvation in Christ, or you have your name in any part of that, you don't understand the Gospel. Don't be deluded by false philosophies, vain deceit, because Christ is sufficient. Christ is the only way to salvation no work none of this none of that and i'm here to tell you this morning christ his work is complete he's triumphed over sin and over the grave no works no philosophy no worship of some false cult will make you alive in christ jesus is the only one that can do that the only one you can believe can the only one that can be alive in christ is one that can be cleared of a debt that you owe to God. And each of us, at one point in our life, we're indebted to God. And you see in Romans five twelve, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sinned into the world, death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. And so all of us this morning may have sinned. And some may somebody say, You know what? I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anybody. I've never offended anybody. I'm a good person. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever stole anything? Don't answer out loud. That's good. Give it time and maybe you want. Have you ever told a lie? Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Good job. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Well, Listen. You've just told me maybe that you've, you've said a lie. So I don't believe you about the last part. But the truth is, if you failed on one of those, that makes you a lying, thieving, adulteress. And you have sinned against God. Because those are just simple three things that you've broken against God's rule. The law came into existence to condemn us. So that it would express our need for a Savior. Because, listen, you can be saved by the law. But... You won't be able to hold the law, so therefore it's an oxymoron. The law came in existence so that it would condemn us. But Christ steps into the picture and gives great mercy and, and hope, not in ourselves, but in sufficiency of Christ. And Isaiah understood it. As he said it this way, in Isaiah 59, 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He is not here. You can't tell me that you want to live how you wish and you still worship God. Believe it or not, that's what's going around. I had a young man in my office this week who told me that. No, you can't. Your sins have hidden His face from you. That is why we need to repent of our sins and turn to God. This young man wasn't a believer. And he thought he could live in habitual sin doing, you see, well pleased. And be happy worshiping God. And then when he dies, he felt that he was going to some happy place. And I want you to understand that is a philosophy that would lead you on the broad road to destruction. I prefer calling it hell. Because as I pleaded with this young man to understand, his understanding is a false understanding. He has no authority to claim these things. But we can claim these things because we have the Scripture, the revelation of God, the all-authority Scripture. Scripture. And so this is where we base our understanding. There is no happy place for those who are not in Christ Jesus. I'm sorry. This book doesn't teach that. And he wanted to see and understand what God thought about his sin. And I don't know if he thought I would give him hope. But I did. I gave him Christ. Probably wasn't the hope that he thought I was going to give him. I said, brother, you can't live in sin. Expect that's freedom to worship God. No. Seek forgiveness. Repent. Turn to God and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ and allow Jesus to work them things out of you. If you can't fix them yourselves. And that's why the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. Christ paid for the sins of mankind. And the Bible teaches that we as individuals must receive Him. John 1.12 gives us this great passage of Scripture. He says, "...but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. To all those that have believed, not one of them would be disappointed." Listen, either Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Here, Paul is expressing throughout this book, Christ is the way. And His way was the way, and it will always be the way. Those of the old looked forward to the coming of Christ, and we today look to Christ, for He is still alive today, looking to save those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And I ask you this morning. How do you know if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life? I don't know, but I'm going to preach like everyone in here today his name is written in that book. We're not to judge people's salvation, heaven or hell, but we're simply say, this is what Scripture says. Follow it. Follow Christ. Is your name written in the book? I don't know. But I'm going to preach like it is. To the Jews, they disobeyed in the manner in which was given to them, which was the law. To the Gentiles, they disobeyed in the manner in which was given to them, their inner conscience. But both need grace. Jew and Greek. He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. As I looked at this this morning, as I went over this again, I couldn't help but see here, He says, He made you alive. But then in everything else, He says, us. You see, He understands completely that it is Christ who makes us alive. He makes you as individuals alive in Christ. But for us, transgressions been canceled. Certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us which was hostile to us. God's sufficiency is sufficient for all men but it's not efficient for all men because not all will believe in him. Some will choose to live their lives in their own understanding and separated from God eternally. And I pray this morning that you don't do that. Because I need you to understand and see that nothing we do or say or that happens in our life saves us. That was empty philosophies, vain deceit from the very beginning in the Colossian church is still reigning over to today. False teachers teaching different things that save. Christ has given life. Forgiveness. And then listen, it's as complete as it can be. Nothing else is needed. We were once condemned but now have been made alive. Those of you struggling with past sin in your life, listen, I want you to understand something. It was canceled, completely. cancelled. It was as if you owed someone a debt you couldn't afford to pay, an amount of money that was astronomical, and they signed off on this debt, paid in full. And that's what Jesus Christ did. As he hung on that cross, and he said, "To tell us die." It is finished. There's nothing else that needs to be done. The sacrifice has been made. You don't have to sacrifice lambs. You don't have to do these certain acts of withholding yourselves so you can be more spiritual. No, it's finished. You stand on the promises of God and take that forgiveness in which Christ has set you free and be free. And those believers, listen, that are living in habitual sin, we're sinners. And we all fall short of the glory of God. And the reality is, is I sin and you sin, and that's just the way it's going to be until we see Christ face to face. But if you look at my life, and you take a picture of every time I've done something wrong, then you'll say, that man's a sinner. If you take a video of my whole life, you will see a progression of growing and growing and to be more like Christ. And that's what we need to do. And that's why it's hard for us to judge individuals because we don't know where they were and what they've become. And all I'm saying here is that if you are living in an habitual sin, if there's a sin that keeps tackling you and beating you up, nail it to the cross. Because that's what Christ did. Stop letting it defeat you and hold you down. You repent of that sin and fall before God and claim 1 John 1.9, which is a verse for believers, not unbelievers. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is for the believer. It's a promise to those who are alive in Jesus Christ. And we need to understand what we were, And we need to understand what we are, but we also need to understand what He did. And once we understand what He did, then we can rely on all of the other promises He's given us. Listen, this is so great a message, I don't want you to miss it. It's a great promise. I want you to listen to the latter part of verse 14 here. Colossians 2.14 says, And He has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. What does it mean that He has taken it out of the way? What is it? He is taken it out of the way. What is it? It's the certificate of death that condemns us before God. What does it mean He's taken it out of the way? He's removed it from our midst. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do throughout Scripture. John 1 says, The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In 1 John 3 5, he says, You know that he appeared in order to what? To take away the sins. And in him there was no sin. A few weeks ago, I sold my computer. And I had this computer for several years. And let me tell you, I had so much information on this computer. But before I sold it, I had to get rid of it. And so I took a couple days and began to delete things off of it. And I did a system clear on my computer. And the information that was on my computer was taken away. Never to be seen again. So that the person who bought it would never see it. And that's what happens when we come into Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He makes us alive. He takes it away. Christ by His cross releases His people not only from the guilt of their sin and their lives but from the hold that it has on them. So if you are a believer and not holding to this truth you are letting Satan hold you down. Let him hold this sin over your head that he has forgiven you for. Look, we make mistakes. We are sinful people. But Christ had the power to forgive and He has the power to forgive and He breaks the power of canceled sin. And some of you have never really even experienced this great mercy, this wonderful forgiveness. You living defeated lives still dead in your transgressions. And Christ has accomplished the work to overcome that. But you lack one thing. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. There's nowhere in Scripture that says, accept Jesus in your heart. Believe. And when we believe, it calls us actions in our lives to prove what we believe. Faith. Believe. You can't be saved if you fail to understand your lostness. You have nothing to be saved for. Your sin, your offense against the holy and just God, your separation between yourself and God, that's what you need to understand. And when you understand that, you can step out of this and into that, putting your complete faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you've heard this message this morning, message of Christ, of understanding your ability not to be able to save yourself, but you see His ability through His Word and through the lives of His believers and followers of Christ, as you see an example of what Christ can do in life. I don't know many people here that I've known for many years But I'm sure and I hope that you've seen somebody's life that God has begun to grow and sanctify and make more into the image of Christ. Look at what God has done. If you see His ability and His wonderful work, the cross, then cry out this morning, save even a sinner such as me. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. And to my brothers and sisters in Christ, stand on the sufficiency of Jesus. And get out from underneath the bondage of living in sin, because Christ has made a way. And don't let sin reign over you in your lives. Don't let it depress you. Listen, it's a trickery of the devil. If he can fumble you up, It can make you stop and you're working and you're feeling inadequacy. Listen, for me to stand up here and preach, I deal with this on a regular basis. How can a man like me stand up here and preach the Word of God? And everything I've done in my life, I'm preaching against what I used to be. Because I've been forgiven. And I don't allow those things to hold over my head. No, I proclaim the truth even though I've messed up in the past. Because when God saved me, He saved me past, present, and future. And He's taken it away. Having nailed it to the cross. You know, as I thought this morning, boy, what a wonderful thing it would be able if we could just write our sins down. Something that that has overcome us, that's that's hanging over our head and write it down and come up here and pin it up here to this cross. So as a remembrance of what Jesus did, because whether you do it or He did it, He did it and that's what it does. It pins our sin right to this cross. He was pierced for our iniquities and our transgressions. He's made a way that we might be justified in Christ, which means declared not guilty. Before a God that is absolutely perfect and just. Believe the name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Be saved.